Hey everyone, great news. Kitchen Table Magic is now on Hipsters of the Coast. They're the mages with the curly beards and the vegan potion options. Hipsters of the Coast is the premier news and strategy blog for the Magic the Gathering community. They have a unique perspective on things, and Kitchen Table Magic is honored to be joining their lineup. If you're listening to me right now from Hipsters of the Coast, I'm pleased to meet you. You're going to love all of the guests I have lined up for Season 3. And be sure to check out past episodes at kitchentablemagic.org. If you're new to the Hot Sea blog, head on over to hipstersofthecoast.com to get strategy and content for all of your favorite formats. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by CardKingdom.com. Are you looking for a modern, legacy, commander, or standard staple? Card Kingdom has it in stock. Looking for that perfect dino to crew your pirate ship helicopter aether train? Ixalan is out now, so order your singles from our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com KTM. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Paragon City Games. They're a community-focused game store in Draper, Utah that cares deeply about their player base. They invite you to join their in-store stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames for weekly legacy and standard events. Hello, sir. Can you please introduce yourself? What's up, my wizard? It's Dev, you know, from the SBMTG. I'm just doing my spiel at this point. I'm Devin from SBMTG, everybody. Hello. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. In this episode, I'm talking to Dev from Strictly Better MTG. Dev is the rapping YouTuber with the Deck Tech Strategy and Feline co-hosts. With over 60,000 YouTube subscribers, Dev is a major player in the MTG community, providing strategy, news, and set reviews. Dev has been playing Magic from early in the game's history, and his expansive knowledge of Magic makes for thorough and in-depth videos. Dev enjoys teaching the community how to build a better deck, and accommodates both competitive and budget-conscious players. Dev's down-to-earth attitude and personality makes his content easy to understand and relatable. Also, Dev has a special gift for Patreon support and I'll tell you how to get a signed card from Dev later. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Dev of Strictly Better MTG. Hi everyone, thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. My name is Sam Tang and today I am here with Dev from Strictly Better MTG. Dev, how are you doing today? Fantastic, Mr. Sam. I'm so happy that you are here with us today. And where are you joining us from? I am from uh, coming here from Macon, Georgia, where I've lived more or less my entire life. <laughs> so. Sweet. Georgia. I love it. Yeah. That's where they filmed The Walking Dead. Yeah. They, they're starting to film a lot of stuff down here uh, lately. You can get casting calls. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of people I know that go in as extras on stuff like The Walking Dead and like Tyler Perry movies and stuff. So, <laughs> there's a lot of filming going on down here right now. It's kind of cool. So. That is super sweet. Uh, yeah, right now, Seattle is looking a little bit post-apocalyptic. We're having a heat wave. And on top of that, there's a whole bunch of forest fires out in British Columbia. So, there's like Ooh. this haze and the sun is like orange and it's really hot and everyone's freaking out. It's pretty metal. <laughs> it's yeah, I heard super that on the metal. radio today that it was, um, uh, I didn't hear it yet in Washington State, actually. It's supposed to be over 100 degrees out there. Yes, it is. Which is impossible. Like, I didn't know that even happened in your part of the country. Like, I'm, I'm nope. from the South. I'm used to it being, you know, 99, 100 by now, but 
I can't imagine 106 out there. That's that's crazy. I'm sorry you're going through that, man. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty warm, and uh, it's like our very own hour of devastation. That's going on. people <laughs> nice. are pretty scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, Dev, I'm so happy that you are here, and for the listening audience, Dev is the founder of the very successful Magic YouTube channel, Strictly Better MTG, and Dev does deck techs and talks about news and talk about sets reviews and talk about like lore and talks about budget magic and all the things that just Dev loves about magic, right? That's correct. Like literally all of those things. So. <laughs> <laughs> and you sit on your couch and you've got your really adorable cats that often like photobomb you <laughs> <Right>. in the shot. <laughs> they're, they're internet famous now. I think that's in some ways uh, my cats are more famous than me. So, um, and every time I've only been recognized like three times around town or like when I go to a card shop, it doesn't happen often, but the first thing people ask is about the cats. Like every time it's never about like, Oh, I built this deck and I really liked it. And it's always about like, Hey, is Julie a nice cat or like, it's, it's, always, it's always about the cats. So they even know the cat's names. Yeah. Like right now, Julie's actually sitting next to me on top of the computer desk and Ziggy is sitting next to her. He's asleep. So, and where's Igby? He's off somewhere. He was actually sitting with me on the couch right before this, but he's very much a solitary cat, you know? Like, he goes off by himself and just kind of chills for a minute and rejoins the pack. (laughs) 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 I love it that your cats are more well-known than you are. Uh, But you know what? (laughs) We will talk more about why you are so well-known, Dev. But like all things, we start at the beginning. Where did you grow up and how did you find magic? Well, I've, um, you know, I've been in Georgia my whole life. I spent some time in Tifton, but most of it uh, has been here in Macon. And um, I guess like it's like you said, let's start at the beginning. When I was growing up, uh, one of my first ever video games ever was uh, Final Fantasy. The very first Final Fantasy, like 1989, I was like six years old. And my dad and I played that game all the time. And we loved it so much that, you know, Final Fantasy 2 and 3 came out, played those. Chrono Trigger came out, we played those. I just always loved, um, as a result of that love of, of Final Fantasy and video games, role-playing games and such, I've always loved just the fantasy setting, you know? Um, and when I was 11, and I just full disclosure, the story gets sad here. Just I don't want to just like hit you with a left hook of sadness. Like The story's about to get sad. Um, when I was 11, my dad passed away. And um, it was like two years later, or two years, two weeks later at school, um, I met up with this kid, Kevin, which is funny. My name's Devin. His name's Kevin. But um, met up with this kid, Kevin, whose dad had died like a month before my uh, father had died. And oh, wow. So, yeah. So, um, I started going over to his house and hanging out and stuff. And he played this game, you know, Magic the Gathering. And it was uh, 1995 at the time. And I think uh, Revised was out at the card shop, but it was, it was like $5 a pack. But Fallen Empires was like 88 cents a pack. So, <laughs> we used to go up there, we just like saved up allowance money, you know, five, ten bucks and just buy all the Fallen Empires we could, just sit on the floor and open it. And he, you know, he really got me into magic and, you know, it's, it's in my blood too. Like my father for a long time was a magician and my mother was a magician's assistant and they didn't know each other. You know, they were just like, they were both involved in actually, you know, in, in, in magicianship, I guess. Uh, but wow. they didn't know each other at the time. Yeah. So it's, I also, I like to joke that it's in my blood for that reason too. But it's, huh. you know, it's because, uh, it's because I've always enjoyed the fantasy element. And then my, when my dad passed and I met this, this guy who was a friend of mine for a really long time, 
um, that got me into magic. And when I discovered magic, I was like, oh, my dad would probably really like this game, you know, because he loved, he got me into Tolkien. He got me into, uh, you know, obviously any and all things fantasy. So, you know, I've always had that sort of connection with it. Like if my dad were still around, I would probably play magic with my dad. <laughs> He'd probably love that. Wow. Um, so, yeah, ever since then, it's just been 23 years or so <laughs> of playing, playing this game. So that's um, incredible. Yeah. Wow, Dev. Thank you so much for sharing that. Do you still have some of those Fallen Empires cards? <laughs> yeah, it's scattered a boot. I've got, you know, random thralls <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> you know, like um Eben Prider, the one with the, the bunny on it. That's still one of my favorite cards. And uh like Breeding Pit is still like a really good card. There's actually good cards from Fallen Empires. Like him to Turak is like one of the best black cards of all time. That's from Fallen Empires. Like I don't know. It probably deserves more credit than it gets. Like Thalid, Thalid's such a cool creature. You know, you had Homerids or whatever. Like, these are some of the best yep. creature types ever. So, I don't know. I liked Fallen Empires, but that's probably just because I have a bias towards it. You know, it's where I started. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you ever play with that uh, card, Mind Stab Thrall? <laughs> Occasionally. I think, I remember on, um, I think it was the Professor's uh, appearance on your podcast. You said something about how, like, back in the day, you would just, like, throw random mind stab thrills and stuff into decks. <laughs> like, yes. you don't even know what they do. That was us. <laughs> I, I heavily identified with that. Um, just, oh, the art on this thing is really cool. And, like, we don't even know what it really does. Like, once a card got to more than, like, four lines of text, we don't care. You know, we'll just make stuff up. <laughs> it was, it was like my first year of playing the game. It's like, what does this do? I don't know, but it's, art is awesome. You know. <laughs> So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mind Stab Thrall for me is one of those cards that's like, I hate it so much, but I also love it from a nostalgic standpoint Yeah, because the art is kind of gross. I mean, if you're like a little kid, you're looking at this <laughs> melted zombie, zombie gross thing, thing <laughs> yeah. and then it's not particularly powerful because it's got really terrible card stats. And so, I would never be able to connect with it. Like, I'd be like attacking and it's like, oh, it's a 2-1 or a 2-2, I'll block and it <laughs> dies and you're like, fah, like I'm never going to get to use the ability because it has to connect and then you sack it or something. Like, back in the day, it had like weird you sack after you've attacked but before declares blockers have been declared like stuff like that you know and then they discard half a card ha 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 fallen empire and you know so it's like they've got these terrible abilities right and so the whole time i'm just like this card's already kind of goofy looking i don't have any other cards i need to try to use it somehow and whenever i play it it just i, I never i didn't it's win awful. very much as a kid so just throw that, yeah, uh, it was pretty bad i'll throw that invisibility on it dog <laughs> get it through unblocked and by the time you've done that, it's like turn four and they only have like two cards left in their hand. So, you don't even get all three cards. Oh, it's I know. Like, Gosh. <laughs> I mean, there's, it's just, but even back then, you know, you always have these fantasy scenarios, you know, I'll dark ritual them to play on turn one and then I'll just like mind twist them on turn two. It's like, that's not. It's not going to happen that way. <laughs> yeah, it's more It's more like I'll uh, play a land and double dark ritual and play dredge skeleton, something terrible. <laughs> regenerate it it's twice like, for no reason. I'll regenerate it for no reason. <laughs> it's just like so bad, right? So, gosh, that's God. so crazy. Okay, so you played a lot of like old-fashioned kitchen table magic from really, you know, dinky packs. And then did you uh, just, I mean, how did you level up? Like, how did you learn more about the game? You just kept playing or just time passed? Well, um, <laughs> back in the day, we had a couple of magazines, um, Inquest magazine and the Duelist magazine. Inquest lasted longer than the Duelist. Um, and you, you could make an argument that some of Inquest's, um, competitive content was questionable, but I still think, <laughs> <laughs> I still think that, that was sort of the, the foundation for me wanting to become a better magic player. 
um, and really understand the game. And then when I was, I don't know, I was probably 15 or 16 at this time, I had just taught my, uh, my cousin William how to play Magic, and he was quickly becoming a better Magic player than me. And I was like, how is this, you know, I've been playing for seven years, whatever it was at the time. I was like, how is this possible? You've been playing for three months and you're better than me. And he's like, well, I know this guy lives down the street from me. He plays tournament magic, you know. And um, this was back in the day when, like, there there was barely F&M, you know what I mean? Like, it was just like a Sunday tournament at your local card shop. Uh, and that's what we call competitive magic because we didn't have, like, opens and stuff like that. Um, this is when I was still in high school and I'm an old man. This is before the turn of the century. It's like 99, 2000. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, I'll go over to this dude's house with you and see what's up. You know, and I'm still thinking, you know, I'm, I've been playing magic for seven years. I'm going to crush this kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so I, I go over there and he just like hands me my butt <laughs> immediately. Um, and I, I started, you know, hanging out over there more and we got like a play team together and he started, you know, these are the decks that are popular in type two and here's how you beat them. And, you know, they have these matchups, you know, this deck may be awesome against that deck or this deck is terrible against this deck, but it beats everything else. I started sort of learning what metagaming meant, mm-hmm. you know, and he handed me um, a deck. It was Yogmas Bargain Combo. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. This was the first competitive deck I ever played with. And now when I explain this deck to people who have been playing Magic for a while, they're always like, oh, that's not so complicated but to my brain never having played competitive magic i'm just playing you know uh, savannah lines turn one and holy strength turn two you know like, <laughs> i don't know what i'm doing um he has me this deck that's uh for my skill level at the time a very complex combo engine um so i would just goldfish games you know play games against myself over and over and over turn by turn by turn trying to get it down what I'm supposed to do. And then we got into games against one another and I learned how to, you know, when to pull back and wait on the combo, when to, you know, uh, attack their their board state rather than try to just go for it, you know, Um, and learning subtle things about how cards interacted. And then, you know, I ended up going to Sunday tournaments and eventually F&Ms and stuff like that. Uh, and all the while, just getting better and better with this one deck. And I think that's important when you're learning competitive magic is get very, very comfortable in a metagame with one deck. Um, because when you're getting comfortable with one deck in a metagame, in a vacuum like standard, you're actually getting comfortable with every deck in standard. Because once you learn how other decks play against you and how you're supposed to play against them, then you know all the ins and outs of those other decks, too. You know what to look out for and what their big plays are, what they're looking to do on certain turns. So all of this, you know, after a couple of years, uh, really led to a knowledge base that made me level up to Super Saiyan (laughs) levels from from where I was, from being like... It's over (laughs) 9,000. Right. From being, you know, just like... uh, you know, one one guy on turn one. I'll terror your dude on turn two. I'll play like a scathe zombies turn three. I don't know. I like the art. Like from being that kind of player <laughs> um, <laughs> to to being someone that looks to actively attack a meta. You know, I think that's one of the most important steps that someone can take if they're looking to get into competitive magic. Is actually you know, caring about the ins and outs of not only deck building, but once you built that deck, how it runs and how it interacts with all the other strategies in a meta. So there's a lot you have to learn when you first start getting good at magic. There's a lot that goes into it, but it all tends to happen within a small time frame, at least, at least the, uh, the seedling of it, you know, learning what's important happens in a small time frame, but getting better at those things can take, you know, in my case, decades. So... Wow. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry if that was very long winded, but I apologize. (laughs) 
Dev, what about a time when you made a mistake learning how to play magic? <laughs> um, this is this is one of my favorite stories to tell. Uh, we, me and my play group, it was uh, me. Shout outs if anybody's listening to this. It's uh, Sonny and Andy and Jesse Fish and me and Joel Cortez. We always we, we used to play magic um, until the wee wee hours, six, seven in the morning. Sometimes we formed a play group, you know, and we went to I think it was an SCG open at the Gaming Pit in Atlanta. We had been like gaming for this for uh, three weeks at that point, just every day, magic, 12 hours a day, you know, know your day, in and out, no matter what. And um, when we finally got there, I was playing a, a variation on Pickles. I don't know if you remember Pickles, Sam. Yeah, you remember pickles? I remember Pickles. Yeah, that's now, right. Adam Yurchik talked about Pickles. Now, I was doing the dumbest thing ever with Pickles. What I was doing was um, I was playing Slivers. And pickles, like I was using, <laughs> yeah, I was using the Vesuvian uh, shapeshifter uh, Brian Elemental combo to lock all, you know, stuff down for the rest of the game. But I was also using opposition, you know, tap, um, yep. you know, tap something you control to tap down one of their guys and slivers. Um, and the slivers, you know, they all had different stuff. They do like give all slivers hex proof or you know, anything like that. Um, just, you know, different sliver stuff. <laughs> what I was doing was I was just using opposition to tap down, you know, all of their guys with my slivers and then brine elemental them, you know, every turn for the rest of the game. And this deck actually worked like stupidly well in testing. So I go, I go to the GP. It, it was, it was an SCG open. I know it was. Um, go to the open and it's round, uh, four at this point. I have won my first three matches. And I'm feeling really good, right? So the way Shapeshifter worked is, if I remember correctly, you had to choose to either, um, you had to choose to like flip it back up or uh, flip it back down, one or the other, but on your upkeep, right? So my opponent says go. I've got him locked down for like four turns. I've got him locked down. And he's getting increasingly frustrated and he can't untap anything. And he says go and I draw my card and I'm like, oh, wait, let me, yeah, let me go back, man. He's like, can't let you do it. Can't let you do it. And a lot of people would tilt in that situation, you know, or like call a judge, like, please let me go back. Um, but first of all, the judge is going to say, no, you can't go back. Um, so don't, <laughs> don't, don't do that. Um, but call a judge on yourself. <laughs> at the time, I just had to be like, you know, you got me. You're right. I drew my card. So he untapped and ended up just like decimating me. So let that be a lesson. Let that be a lesson. You know, just just make sure that you're very aware of everything that you have to do during a turn. And importantly, get sleep because we hadn't, we literally did not sleep. We, I think we got about an hour and a half of sleep and then drove three hours to the event, waited outside for two hours until it was open, you know, registered and then played for four hours. So by the time I had made this mistake, I'd played four hours of magic and not gotten any sleep. So get some sleep too, you know? Um, and also, uh, just one more pro tip as far as mistakes are concerned. Um, do not change your deck that you've been working on for like a month. Don't change your deck the night before the event. Don't do that. <laughs> I can't even remember what event this was in Atlanta, but I was playing, uh, fairies. This is in Lorwyn. I was playing blue black fairies and I really learned the deck top to bottom. I was very confident and, and cause that deck was the best deck in that standard. And I decided the night before the tournament that I wanted to put momentary blink in the deck because, you know, you can blink any of these fairies for their end of the battlefield effects. And that seems really awesome, you know? 
So I, I tried to, you know, mess with the mana to where I could get at least like eight white sources, but that drove down my blue sources, which is a huge no-no in fairies. I played three momentary blink, saw none of them the entire tournament, but saw all of my white mana and none of my blue mana. So like, you just don't, don't change things on something you've been like really confident in for a month, just because you think you have a, like a bright idea to break the meta. You probably <laughs> don't. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know? So I had to learn that lesson the hard way too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you ain't breaking anything. <laughs> yeah, you're I breaking mean, your own deck. <laughs> it happens once in a blue moon, but like everybody wants to be that guy. Like I'm doing. Mill is the deck, man. Like Mill is probably not the deck. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> we all make those mistakes. Just learn from them. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> I went from I went from playing the strongest deck in the format, no doubt. Everyone knew that it was either Rebel Art or Fairies in that format, and I ended up on Fairies and changed it the night before and completely just got dominated. I think I went, um, what was it? I think I went two and three in that tournament. It was just awful. It was just so awful before I dropped. It was bad. So, learn that as well. <laughs> well, that's really cool, Dev. And when did you sit down and say to yourself, you know what? I want to start a YouTube channel. I had, at the time, been playing Magic for like you know 20 years. Felt like I had a good knowledge base as far as the game at that point. And this was when YouTubers who are big at this point had had just started to become popular. You know, Professor had just started releasing his uh, product reviews. Wedge was doing deck techs. This is when a guy named Absolute MTG was really big. He used to do uh, nothing but deck techs. He mm -hmm. was a big inspiration. And also... Um, Evan Irwin and Brad Nelson, they used to do uh, set reviews for Star City Games. And that was, uh, you know, a big genesis for me. I really wanted to to do something like that. Uh, just sort of review cards on YouTube. I just thought it was cool. I watched a lot of YouTube at the time. It was We didn't have cable. We didn't have Netflix at the time. So, YouTube was our cable. We watched a lot of it. So, I was really interested in just, you know, in, in YouTube as a whole. So, I figured, you know, I, I know a good bit about this game. I've been doing it for a long time. I feel like... I can do what these guys are doing, but from sort of a more thorough angle. You know, I'd, I'd see deck texts that were 10 minutes long. And I'm like, you know, you covered the, the bases here, but I want some more in-depth, you know. And that's why my videos are usually like 20 plus minutes long. It's because I want to cover as much as we possibly can. I felt like there was that sort of void for that on YouTube. So, mm -hmm. I wanted to get into deck techs um, and it's really, you know, talk about every up and down of the deck that I could um, in a precise manner. Um, and I also wanted to do set reviews. That was a big part of it was set reviews. So, and it's something I still enjoy doing to this day is like spoiler reviews and stuff. It's one of my favorite parts. Like spo spoiler season is like having Christmas like four times a year. Like that's, <laughs> it's awesome. Like it's really taxing on sort of um, the body economy, you know, like it, it really- <laughs> The body economy. <laughs> yeah, man. Like I'm by the end of spoiler season, I'm literally delirious, you know, I'm like, man, this three metal one one is incredible. You know, <laughs> like, who knows what I'm thinking <laughs> at that point. So, <laughs> you know. Your lands don't untap. Oh, I wish I didn't untap for the rest of the game. That's awesome. That would be, this card is broken, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but, um, but, but it's something I do enjoy doing. And I'm used to, since I was very young, I'm a night owl. I barely get any sleep and can run off of it. Somehow I get three, four hours of sleep and I'm fine. So, spoiler season is just more of the norm for me, you know. <laughs> so, it's not really a big deal. Wow. I, but I can't be doing that forever, you know. But still... 
still, spoiler season is exciting enough that like I can get three hours of sleep and I'm fine. So, I just want to wake That's up amazing. the next morning and see the next batch of stuff. And then when it's not spoiler season, you're just like, I'm going to release three deck techs in a week. Yeah, more or less. That's what I try to do. <laughs> it's, it's two or three, you know. Sometimes I'll throw a video in there like an opinion or a top ten or something like that. Um, when I'm trying to like work the kinks out of a deck, but... Three deck techs a week is what I try to get at. And, you know, I think we've hit the mark <laughs> so far. <laughs> um, you know, I just try to make sure it doesn't feel like I'm ever rushing anything out. Like I do, I do a, a, a lot of work on these decks before they actually get out. Like just, you know, when you see a deck get released on the channel, know that it's been in the works for at least two weeks at that point. Wow. Everything's, everything's sort of not necessarily planned out to the degree that I want it to be. Cause I'm, I'm famously disorganized, you know, so, but. I was that kid that did the science project on the day before it was due. So, yeah, I think I've carried over that attitude into uh, the way I do my YouTube channel. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I said, I I wing it, you know, but these these decks do, they have a lot of work to go into them. So, uh, there's always one or two weeks at least of production that goes into a video before you actually see the finished product. Wow, that is so cool. Well, even though you are self-professed, very disorganized, your content still comes off as very organized. And like you said earlier, you really want to make sure that you are thorough and complete. Dev, can you tell us a little bit more about your production or process or creative process when it comes to coming up with content? There's there's a lot that goes into that. Um, It's really just, uh, okay, put it this way. When I first started the channel, we had an iPhone. That was that was pretty much it as far as as far as our production quality. You know, we had a free editing software that we used, and we had an iPhone. But actually, I love that about it. Um, for the first maybe year and a half of the channel, we had literally a cell phone and free editing software. And um, I like to use that as an example that literally anyone can do this if they want to. You know, if you if you want to start a YouTube channel, you can. It's totally I'm living proof of that that you can do it at almost no budget to start up the channel and as long as you're engaging or people like the content you produce, then you can do it even with, you know, subpar equipment. And at this point, I've got, you know, a 1080p webcam that I record with and a, a blue snowball microphone that I record audio with. And I use a Wondershare video editor, which does cost a little bit, but it's not much, you know. And I just got new editing software, uh, Corel Video Studio, which I think costs like $100. And I'm learning how to use. So, you know, as as far as the production value of it, not enough <laughs> goes into it at this point. But at that point, it's all sweat equity. You know what I mean? It's just what, what you put into it from there. And the process is just, you know, come up with deck idea and then... You know, get notebook and paper. You know, I do everything old school. I'm rarely, you know, uh, writing things into a word processing software or anything. Just everything's pen and paper. Um, Write out your deck idea. Cobble it together. Usually I use proxies when I make a deck um, because I don't, I'm not rich. (laughs) (laughs) It costs some money to play Magic. So I just, you know, I proxy up decks and um, play out. Games against other decks or play out scenarios. I think that's something a lot of people don't do enough of is playing out specific scenarios you're likely to encounter in a format. Do a good bit of that. uh, And then I go back to the drawing board, write out the deck list again. What did work? What didn't work? And I usually do rewrites anywhere between five and six times, you know, when I'm doing a deck. And it's all, again, just pen and paper, you know. And usually when I record, it's just I've got my notebook next to me. I script nothing, you know. I've got like... Certain things planned out that I want to say, you know, if I've, you know, covering Grasp of Darkness. So it kills Hazaret. You know, you want, you know, you want to say that. 
uh, in this current format. So, you know, you've always got stuff that you know you're going to say, but as far as how I'm going to say it, I don't script anything. I more or less wing everything to make sure that it's sort of natural, you know? I don't want it to sound scripted, so I don't script. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, that's really great because I always, whenever I watch your videos, I'm just like, wow, like, Dev is such a great speaker and you've got this great energy and you connect and I'm like, wow, that's that's some, that's some one hell of a script. <laughs> and, and now it makes a lot of sense. You're like, nope, no script well, needed. I just connect. Yeah, I do what I can. Yeah, well, it's just like, I think that it's, it's important to be positive. You know, it's important to bring energy and optimism to it. Uh, I'm not saying that that's something that's lacking. I think that most content creators are actually really energetic and really positive. And I love that actually about being, I guess, in the community, because we as content creators have by and large uh, this unwritten agreement that we are supposed to be a force for good. <laughs> and I know that sounds melodramatic, but I think that that is a good way to put things. You know, I, I, I think it's very important to be positive. Absolutely. And Dev, when you started, you had two other co-hosts. You had a guy named Random, and you also <laughs> had a guy named Tony. After the first video, Random disappeared. <laughs> so, whatever happened to Random, we don't know. And then after a year or so, then Tony left the channel, and now it's just you. Right. Um, Random, that's my, that's our buddy John. Uh, <laughs> these are both, these are made, uh, both great guys, by the way. Um, random, just kind of after a couple of videos, decided like, yeah, you know, I guess this isn't for me. Um, and then Tony, he stuck with the channel for a little while and he did a lot of our deck testing for us. Great guy, you know, did, did a lot of our testing and did some videos of his own before he just was kind of like, you know, I don't feel like going on camera anymore. You know, I don't feel like being sort of a voice for it anymore. And after a while, he just, he just sort of, you know, stopped producing content for the channel. So, you know, we, we sort of went our separate ways as far as channel business goes. So, I just, I don't know if Tony, I mean, I, I don't want to be, you know, careful just because I, I, I love Tony. He's a good guy. You know, he's, he's been a friend of mine for a while. But I just think that mostly he just felt like I'm not, he didn't want to be uh, a face or a voice. He didn't want to be on camera, you know, and I can, I can respect that. I can respect that. I was always a little bit more comfortable with it than him. So yeah, I, I totally it. understand. Yeah, it's not it's not for everyone. Not everyone wants to be right in front yeah. of a camera all the time. Yeah, that's understandable. But he still he still did a lot of work for us. Um, in you know those months that he wasn't on camera, he tested decks for a while, and we bounced ideas back and forth. Um, and I would take lists of his and make deck decks out of those. You know that happened a few times. So you know we had a working relationship for a while, but. Then after, you know, my life became very much about the channel and I, you know, I didn't have so much of a focus on work or friends, um, sadly, but still, you know, when you do this um, and it starts getting big, then your life becomes very much about it. You have to spend 60, 70 hours a week um, on content producing, you know, if you want to keep going. So after a while, we just, you know, it's, it's not just he, but a lot of my friends and I just sort of parted ways without really saying like, all right, I'll see you later. <laughs> you know, this <laughs> my life became about like my marriage and my channel. You know, I, I want to spend 60, 70 hours a week on my channel. And hey, I've got this person that loves me so much that they married me. They want to spend all their time with me. So I, you know, I, I mostly focus on her because she's awesome. Um, <laughs> and the channel, you know, that's, that's all I need, I guess. So. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you've, uh, the format of your videos really is just kind of you sitting in front of the camera. Uh, you know, earlier, Deb, when you were just like, you know, how we started off was just basically free editing software and an iPhone. What's awesome is that you've really kept that from zero subscribers on day one to over 60,000 subscribers now in the middle of 2017. You still have that basically straight on look. You're sitting on the couch and the camera's pointed at you and there's not a lot of, you know, special effects or crazy things going on. You have a little bit of text up on the screen. Occasionally, the feline walks across the, your lap or whatever. Uh, but yeah, that's basically kind of kind of how you roll. Yeah, I mean, I, I like it to be stripped down, you know. And there's there's been times that I do skits and stuff, but I am um, technically limited in my ability <laughs> to produce um, skits that look good. You know, I think that. Uh, I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I like I like the script of my skits sometimes. <laughs> but as far as the <laughs> as far as the production quality, you know, I'm I'm one guy with a you know like one camera, so it's just it's really hard to set things up. Like if you go back and you look at the uh, the Rapsan music video, the rap video that we did for Abzan, yeah, like that's uh-huh. it's literally like the worst looking thing in the world. <laughs> it looks so bad. Um, you know, that's because we're really limited. And so after a while, I just started to focus more on, um, just not necessarily, I guess, I don't want to say like stripped down content or anything, but just content that really cuts to the quick. And, you know, people are interested in what the deck is and what it does. Um, and I can always sprinkle in, you know, the odd joke here and there when talking about a card, you know, give a card a nickname, which is always fun. And and still, you know, achieve like the the kind of engagement that I'm looking for. I think, and I would get feedback on the skits. Like some people would be like, "Oh, the skit was hilarious. I'm crying." And then like other people, of course, you know, it's YouTube. Other people would be like, "The skit was the dumbest thing I've literally ever seen in my life." <laughs> so you know, it's <laughs> so after a while, it's like, man, is the three hours of writing and, and production I'm doing on these skits like worth it? I'm just gonna do the decks, <laughs> you know. So. <laughs> That is so funny. You know, like all things grow and all things evolve. Uh, you know, Dev, you at one point, you hit a thousand subscribers and you uh, did a video uh, kind of talking about that. What was it like to hit your first milestone goal? You have no idea, man. Like, well, actually you do, as a matter of fact. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, it's just unbelievable. You know, we, we just decided to throw some videos up um, just talking about, I think it was Fate Reforged was our first uh, set review. And, you know, the first few days, it got to like 100 views. And back then, we were like, oh, my God, we have 100 views. <laughs> you know, it was, <laughs> it was just like unbelievable that people were act- – even you know, a small amount of people were actually watching it. You know, it just – it I guess it snowballed faster than I thought it would, you know? Like, we went from 1,000 – well, really like 500 subscribers, which was a milestone for us at the time, to 1,000 subscribers, which was just like we, – we had a plan to hit 1,000 subscribers within a year. All right, we started in February um, uh, 2015, and uh, yeah, February 2015, and we wanted to hit a thousand subscribers by the next year. You know, February 2016, we hit a thousand subscribers in like half that time, I think it was, um, and it just blew us away. Like we <laughs> we had no idea, we didn't feel like we were deserving of it at all. And then, like a, a few months later, it was literally like six months later, we hit five thousand subscribers. So we we pintupled our first year goal. <laughs> it's just like wow, unbelievable for us. And ever since then, it's just been a steady snowball of survivorship, uh, survivor subscribership. Yeah, yeah. If you've been with the channel for like two and a half years now, then you have survived some really awful videos. <laughs> <laughs> it is a survivorship. There's been a, a pretty steep learning curve when you you know you start learning how to produce and edit videos. Editing was. And still is occasionally a, a bugaboo. 
you know, so, but you teach yourself as you go. Teach yourself as you go. Yeah. And uh, Dev, then like a year later, you hit 40K subscribers. I, I, don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I, I, just, I, I don't get it. Like, you know, I, I see um, the professor's uh, videos and I see Wedge's videos. They just, you know, they do this stuff with green screens and they're just, their production looks so perfect and their card images are like the highest possible resolution. And professor's got all these cool transition effects and stuff. And like, sometimes he's got these pyro effects for some reason. I don't know how, where he's getting those. <laughs> he loves like, to make things explode. Jeez, <laughs> I know. But I want to do that. But like, <laughs> but like, I don't, I just don't, you know, I, I see us getting to a hundred thousand subscribers and still not understanding how exactly that happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's all surreal. It really is surreal. When like, for instance, right, probably six, eight months ago at this point, not quite a year ago, I went to um, the baptism of my cousin's daughter, right? At my tiny little church, 60 member church that I haven't been to in 15 years or whatever. And it turns out that a random, like, cousin once removed of mine, the kid's like 14, Spencer, shout out if you happen to be listening, <laughs> but um, he watches my videos. I'd never met this kid in my life, and he watches my videos. Like, he was in the pew in front of me for the entire time. And at the end, you know, we turn to leave, and he turns around, and he looks at me, and his face is like, oh! <laughs> like, you know, it's like, you're that guy. That's how everybody recognizes it. You're that guy. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, what's up, my wizard? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he just, like, breaks out in this big smile and gives me a hug and stuff. And, like, that's that's always, like, I'm some guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I just don't understand it, you know? Like, I went to a car shop um, a little over a year ago now. The, I was talking to the, the girl behind the counter about standard, you know? And after, like, three minutes, she looked up at me and, like, really saw me for the first time and was like, oh, my God, I've been playing your deck for, like, three months. I've been playing your blue-red, you know, um, <laughs> is it deck for a couple of months now. And I'm like, awesome. How's it been doing for you? You know, we just launched into a whole conversation about is it. But that's always so weird. Like, like it's Awesome. Don't get me wrong. I'm really flattered, but like, I am a just some guy. I'm just some guy, man. <laughs> just don't. Oh, wow. It's so weird when it starts happening. So. <laughs> I love it. You're like, oh, hey, I'm a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, it's not uncomfortable or anything, but it is always like, how? <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it, man. Oh, so. gosh. That's well, it, that'll be the day when you get let off for a speeding ticket because the cop is like, Oh, hey, what's up, Dev? <laughs> I, I have actually fantasized about that. I've had a cop behind me and been, Hey, man, maybe this guy plays magic. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> get up with a warning. <laughs> you know. <laughs> that is so, too I'm on the day when I'm going through the line at Kroger or something and the <laughs> cashier's like, Oh, you play magic? It's that hasn't quite happened yet, but. Wow. It's 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 so weird, man. Like it happened at Walmart one time and I just it's you always forget who you are, you know. And I'm not anybody that's the thing is I'm nobody. I don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are clearly somebody dev. You are dev from Strictly Better MTG where, you know, lots of people get a lot of enjoyment from the game and that's that's really important. And you know what's also really interesting to the listening audience is that uh not only is Dev known for his videos, Dev is also known for his music. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I mean, you've really got some skills in that. <laughs> well, um, I've been doing music for almost as long as I've been doing magic. You know, I, I learned to play magic when I was 11. I learned to play guitar when I was 11. So, that's something. Um, I, music is also something connected to my father. You know, I, 
I inherited his guitar. That's like the only thing that he specifically left me, you know, um, was his guitar and the will to have me learn to play it. So I did that. Um, I learned a little bit of violin, some piano, some drums, you know, I learned music editing software when I was like 15, you know, starting off with Magic's Music Maker, Fruity Loops and Acid Music and all that. And it just sort of became, you know, one of those part-time garage passions of mine. And interspersed with that, you know, I'd always loved hip-hop. I started listening to hip-hop when I was like eight. Uh, we used to have, uh, I don't know if you guys ever had a, a channel like this, but we used to have a channel that uh, you, you called in and you'd press a series of numbers to request a music video on that channel. Huh. And uh, we, yeah, whichever music video got the most requests uh, got, you know, got played next. And I would always call in and request um, Ice Cubes. Uh, today was a good day. Yeah. And uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot's, you know, I like big butts. Yeah. <laughs> and those are my two songs <laughs> I always requested. And my sister, my sister listened to, um, you know, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg, um, you know, when G-Funk <laughs> was a thing, you know. Um, and that I was always like really into that and grew up with uh, hip hop, getting really interested in it from a young age and sort of. Wanted to know everything about it. I don't know why it spoke to me the way it did. You know, I was always from the suburbs. <laughs> I just, I don't know why it was so interesting, but like, it's just always been my ear immediately gravitated towards it. And it's always been, you know, a passion of mine. So, and when I get passionate about stuff, I get really passionate about stuff. So just you know, music and hip hop in general is all, have always been passions of mine. You know, it was, it was probably around, geez, 2004 when I started doing more of the rap stuff, you know, I was, I was always around town doing, you know, random gigs and stuff as just like, you know, white guy with acoustic guitar, you know, that guy, um, <laughs> but I started, I started to get more into, uh, you know, trying my hand at hip hop, um, in the mid two thousands and kept doing it until like 2013, 2014. A lot of the recordings that you hear before deck text and stuff. That's all very old stuff from like 2013, 2014, that era. Um, and I've done some new things and there's some like channel specific stuff that I've done, you know, but mostly it was just a way to use this catalog of music that I'd never had a way to express before, you know, um, and people really responded to it like way more than I thought they would. You know, I've got the occasional person like stop with the rapping already. But for the most part, People are really receptive to it. And that's meant a lot to me. That's because I didn't think that anyone would ever hear that music. And just the fact that people are hearing it and actually liking it and requesting it and stuff like that's another thing that blows me away. Like I am, you know, this is just some like random garbage I recorded and people are like, that's really good. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> They're just drunk. They, they don't even know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know. You know, it's just something I really enjoy doing, but it's never something that I really pursued. So it's just, if, if nothing else, it just means a lot to me that people enjoy it. Which artists are your influences? Whew, um, all the ones that I named uh, just then, you know, all the G-Funk era, all stars, you know, um, Warren G included, Nate Dogg as well. All of them from the 90s. I have a lot of 90s influence. I like Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul. Positive rap's really important. You know, I like The Roots. I like Talib Kweli. I like Common. I like Gangstar. I like uh, Ghetto Boys. Just anything from that era is fantastic. Like Modern influence, I really, really like MF Doom. If you haven't heard anything from MF Doom, go check him out. And I don't even know that I'd call him a modern rapper anymore. He's been doing stuff since well before the turn of the century. But he's somebody that not a lot of people know enough about. And then like... You know, MC Chris is an obvious influence of mine, if you know anything about MC Chris. So, there's, you know, I draw from a lot of different uh, influence when it comes to rap. 
So just all throughout the ages. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah, a lot of those early 90s rap influences are the same rap artists that I really listen to. Um, do you, um, it seems to me that you really care about like the poetic, lyrical side of it. Um, I really enjoy the beats and the rhythms and things like that. See, I'm both. I, you know, I, I enjoy making beats. You know, at this, what's funny is at this point in my life, I think I enjoy making beats more than I enjoy writing lyrics. It used to be I was all about writing lyrics. Like, what's the best 16 bars we can put together, you know? But nowadays, I, I enjoy creating sounds. <laughs> huh. I think is what it is. So, I don't know exactly where the switch happened, but I'm, I'm more likely to just sit down and make beats for a couple of hours and you know, throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks and then come up with 16 bars where it used to be, you know, oh, I've got these, you know, 16 or 32 that I really want to try out. So, I'm just going to put a drum loop over them and, you know, maybe one melodic instrument and see what happens. Um, and you can see a lot of that in, in the older stuff that I've released. But the newer stuff that I've, that I've, that you sometimes hear on the channel is more beat centric than it is lyric centric. So, I don't know where the switch happened, but I, it did, I guess. I think I'm only just now realizing this. So That's <laughs> thanks, for, yeah, thanks for asking me that question. <laughs> well, you had like a Drake moment because back in the day, Drake was all about the rap and now Drake is all chill about this really like chill beat and he kind of like sings his rap lyrics now. So, you kind of, you had like a change of heart all of a sudden. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm, I'm not going to do the Barbados club vibe thing though, you know. I think you can trust me not to do the... <laughs> A slow sort of reggaeton. I might do the Drake dancing though. Ah, I might do that. Yeah. Um, but actually, Drake is an artist I really respect too. Um, oddly, you know, there's some stuff that 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 goes on the radio sometimes. It's not like the best. <laughs> but <laughs> when Drake when Drake really applies himself to you know these, when he these really are tries be, hard, <laughs> I'm telling these are going to be like the firest 32 you ever heard in your life. Like Drake can do that. <laughs> so I really I respect him for that too. And I don't know why I didn't say Tupac, Big, Eminem earlier. Like, I'm just, I'm still coming up with people. So. <laughs> Jay-Z, like Buster oh, yeah, Rhymes, like, they all don't yeah, matter. Dude. Timberland, they're okay. <laughs> Timberland's one of the best uh, beat producers of all time. Oh, yeah. Like, hands down. Timberland, oh, yeah. Timberland is one of the best producers in hip-hop history. Um, and Busta, yeah, good call on that. Good call on that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, old Busta Rhyme songs. Back when Napster was a thing and people were, like, first understanding the joys of illegally downloading music, I think my, <laughs> right. I think my first few songs was, like, <clears throat> something by, like, Sugar Ray. And then it was also, um, like, a Busta Rhymes track. And, like, the more I listened to Busta Rhymes, I was like, wow, this is amazing, you know? It's like, unbelievable. Yeah, like, his old, <laughs> like, like, the song Dangerous, that beat and the lyrics. Yes. Like, everything is just so good. <laughs> He's just like, and the music video is hilarious. It's and old school. Yeah, all of Buster Rhymes videos are hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's, he's, he's really talented in that way too, or at least his directors are. <laughs> um, but it was funny. I, got, I used to uh, hang out with this guy. Um, he was originally from Barbados. It's weird that I just said Barbados. But he's originally from Barbados, spent a lot of time in Queens, and then came down to live in Macon. His name is Quazim, and he's one of the best rappers I've ever heard in real life. Wow. And uh, he, he he really improved my rap game. And one day I was talking about Busta Rhymes and he's like, oh, Busta Rhymes ain't nothing, man. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, Busta may be one of the top like 50 rappers ever. And he was like, anybody can do that. And he just riffed off. It's like, like something I can't even keep up with at all. <laughs> just off the top of his head. And I'm like, man, you made that look easy. <laughs> and, you know, it's that's one of the reasons I wanted to pursue hip hop is I wanted to do that. But I think it's as I get older, the more and more I realize I cannot do that. 
that maybe that's why I like making beats more. Now. That's incredible. Well, you're just definitely going to have to learn from him because if you can end up spitting rhymes like Buster Rhymes, then never mind this yeah. magic game. It's like you're going to go platinum. <laughs> well, let's still rap about magic. You got to make magic cool. Like there's my favorite comment on any video of all time. I said that probably too hastily, but the one that I think about the most maybe is this one guy was like, this is this guy's on a one man mission to make magic cool. And I was like, I that should make that my motto. I want to put that behind me on the wall <laughs> right here. <laughs> Mission to make magic cool. Because magic needs to be cool. Magic is cool. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm sick of the uh, the sort of, you know, basement dwelling stereotype. Literally, every, <laughs> like, seriously, like, most good magic players that I've ever known, you could not pick them out of a crowd of, like, y- like you couldn't tell someone that doesn't play magic, hey, Pick the really good magic player out of this crowd. They wouldn't be able to do it. Most <laughs> magic players I know do not fit the stereotype of, you know, uh, what people, you know what I mean? What yeah. people view, when, just because I'm a fat neck bearded guy doesn't mean <laughs> that every every magic player is necessarily that. Most magic players I've known have been very, you know, well-adjusted people um, who are easy to talk to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, I don't think... That it's that magic still needs to be in the sort of dark ages where people are like, oh, you play magic? That's for nerds. Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that is too funny. Yeah. I mean, you just gotta, the next time you're at like a GP and you see anyone like really well known, you just shout at them, basement dweller. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, you know, the guy that just um, won the uh, the Pro Tour, Paul Vitor Damodarosa. Yeah. That dude is sexy. Like, I'm a straight man. That dude is sexy. <laughs> like, that dude does not look like a magic player in <laughs> any way, shape, or form. Yeah, like, Paulo Vitor <laughs> Damodarosa's got that Brazilian heat, you know? He's got that right, yeah, exactly. Latin swagger. And, you know, he's a really nice guy. And, you know, he's, like, super <laughs> nice. And, and, you know, he's, like, fit. And, yeah. <laughs> right. It's like there's everyone from all walks of life plays this game. It's literally I heard um God who was it? <laughs> it was um Brian David Marshall. It was Brian David Marshall. One time said that magic is the best game that's ever been made. It's the best game in existence for for all time. Yes, <laughs> more or less. Yes, hate to pa- I'm paraphrasing here, um, but I agree. I agree with that. As a matter of fact, I think that magic is a very simple game with a simple at at its surface rule set that anyone can understand. And, you know, uh, it's, it's flavor is perfect. You know, red does this because red is this. Green does this because green is this. I really like the structure of the game from a flavor standpoint and from a gameplay standpoint. I think we have literally the best game of all time. And I think it's a shame that people are like, nerd, you know, whenever, <laughs> whenever you play Magic. But people people do that. You know, chess is like the other best game of all time. And chess has been in existence for thousands of years, I think, at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and people are still like, nerd, you know. So, I don't, I don't know. We'll ever crawl out of that hole, but we don't deserve to be in it in the first place. Oh, gosh. Dev, what's new for you? Like, what's coming up for you on the horizon? You know, personally, professionally, like, what's coming up new for the channel? Well, um, we just started a Patreon a couple of months ago. What's up, Patreons or Patrons? <laughs> Patrons. <laughs> Patrons. <laughs> See, it's, it's, it's still, still a fledgling um, Patreon content provider myself. So I'm still, I'm still, you know, working out the kinks. <laughs> but we are, um, we've actually been really, really pleased by the response from Patreon. And I've heard a lot of people for months have told me like, Hey, get a Patreon. So we finally did it. And I was kind of blown away by, um, the initial results of it. And because of that, 
we can now invest in the things that literally everyone in the comment section tells me to do. So now, now we can buy, you know, um, a real camera instead of what is essentially a webcam that claims to be 1080p, but I've got my doubts. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, maybe, you know, we've, we just got in better, um, you know, uh, video editing software. So I'm learning how to use that at a snail's pace. I'm, I'm comfortable with the video editing software that I sort of grew into. Um, so that's sort of a crutch for me. But I'm learning slowly how to use this new editing software. I think it's a lot more uh, diverse than what I'm used to. So we got that. Um, as far as projects, uh, you know, we've got budget deck techs for the next week or so. And then... Um, rotation proof deck text, which is something that everyone's been asking me for, you know, and then we've got Ixalan coming up. That's the best thing about being an MTG content creator is that it never gets stale. Like there's always something to talk about, you know, but as far as plans for the channel at large, I promise everyone, um, the, the, the actual production quality, the way the videos look will not be so booty in the near future. <laughs> you know, booty. That's, that's always the one complaint that people levy that I totally, totally understand. Like the videos look like they were recorded on an iPhone half. <laughs> you know, they were actually filmed but, on a camcorder on VHS. Right. What this actually is is a series of Polaroids that we've animated. Um, <laughs> but, but no, we, we use we use a webcam that that again I, I have serious doubts as to um, it being advertised correctly. But uh, we're tra we're trying to, we're trying to move up from there. It shouldn't be too long now, you know. But we we still need to um, sort of shop around and figure out what the best camera for what we're trying to do is because we're not going to go out and get whatever like a red fifteen, you know. Um, <laughs> it's probably not going to happen. You're not going to do, do the Casey Neistat setup with like all the DSLRs. <laughs> right. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to set up drones all around me with cameras on them. And that way you can get like seven different perspectives of me while I'm just sitting there talking about a deck. I don't know why you'd need that, but that's what we're going to do. <laughs> um, but no, very, very soon the channel will get a, a visual upgrade. And I know that's what most people want. Um, I've been working on the audio upgrade. I know a lot of people say there's a sync issue. I've been working on that. And I think the last few videos we've, we've figured that out. So we're, we're taking steps. But as far as future content goes, we're just going to more or less keep doing what we've been doing, you know, because that's, you know, people enjoy deck techs. People enjoy, you know, um, set reviews and spoiler reviews and stuff like that. So we'll keep doing that. And there are some things I want to do. There's another rap deck tech coming up, which I originally teased um, a couple of months ago. I was going to do uh, I was going to do blue red control. And then um, Hour of Devastation came out. So I was like, okay, let's do Grixis. Well, everybody wanted Grixis now. So I did Grixis <laughs> like the first week the set was out. Um, and now I've decided to hold off until Ixalan so I can rap about dinosaurs. Ooh. Yeah, because everybody wants to. I can rap about pirates and dinosaurs. Why would I not do that? So Amazing. Do that. Yeah. So look for um, look for the, the, the next rapping deck tech sometime probably October, if I had to guess. Sweet. Okay, everyone, we're going to have more from Dev coming up in a little bit. But first... First, a word from our sponsors. Dev, you've got a special Patreon supporters gift for us. Could you tell us about it? Sure. Um, what we're doing is we're going to send out um, some sign cards. We're going to send out um, signed copies of Monza's Goblin Raiders. Uh, the, the other day on Twitter, um, I saw the question, you know, what was the first magic card that you ever played? And uh, Monza's Goblin Raiders was mine. You know, I was just playing like a dinky mono red aggro deck thing. And Monza's Goblin Raiders, just a 1-1 for a red goblin, was the first magic card I ever played. So that's what we're going to send out, signed for patrons this month. 
That's awesome. And uh, there's no abilities. It's just uh, a vanilla 1-1. Yeah, it's got flavor text, but I cannot for the life of me remember any of it. I'm pretty sure the flavor text fills up the entire text box. That's and right, I, it I does. Could, I could recite it um, at a time, but not, not anymore. That's been lost to, you know how magic how magic brain is. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's interesting about this card? I was talking to Jay Schneider, who used to be on, you know, R&D, and he also uh, created the deck uh, Pulse Lie Red, a very famous red deck wins, and he Ooh. also invented the concept of the mana curve. Uh, and the deck, you know, he also named the call, uh, the deck Giba, which is uh, what uh, goblins are supposed to say. They're like, it's like yep. Hodor. They just say Giba all the time. So when you look at this card, it's Monzes. So it's like Mons, M-O-N-S, S, apostrophe and another S. So there's a person named Mons, and there actually was a person named Mons uh, who was a uh, Jay's friend in R&D, and they were making goblins, and it's his goblins raiders. So it's like Mons's Mons's goblin raiders. That's crazy. Like I always knew that it was like possessive Mons's. You know what I mean? It's like this Mons is a guy, and these are his goblin raiders. But I never knew the story behind it or anything. That's actually awesome. So 23 years after I first played that card. Now I know what's up with it. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Monza. It is. I remember Sly was my favorite deck for a long time too, so that's cool. That's yeah, cool. wonderful. Yes, so we're going to have a bunch of those signed by Dev, and we're going to be giving them out to Patreon supporters. Thank you so much, Dev. You're welcome. Like, seriously, it's, it's a pleasure of mine. You know, I already send out a bunch of signed cards every month. Totally don't mind doing it for you guys at all. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic was brought to you by Paragon City Games. The Kitchen Table Magic podcast has been all about the origins of the game and members of the community. And as a community, we've come a long way since the game first started. Apart from the kitchen table, the only other places in your local community to play Magic are at local game stores. And that's why places like Paragon City Games is so important for our community. At Paragon City Games, you'll find a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for magic events. You'll find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden boxes. You'll find a huge supply of legacy, modern, and standard staples, sealed product, and tabletop games. It's places like Paragon City Games that allow local communities to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, please be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. Remember to spread the love with a like on Facebook and a follow on Twitter for Paragon City Games. They also have great online reviews and that shows their commitment to excellent customer service for their player community. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. Cardkingdom.com is a great place to shop for Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, pre-constructed decks, and gaming accessories. They have a huge selection of singles, from the latest sets to an ever-flowing supply of modern and legacy staples. Card Kingdom also loves to buy Magic cards. They'll offer you cash or in-store credit for your Magic singles. And if you're new to Magic, you'll love playing any one of the 36 new pre-constructed battle decks built by Card Kingdom. Sign up for Card Kingdom's email newsletter to receive coupon codes and deck techs by Magic Pro Chris Van Meter. You'll get access to Card Kingdom's private reserve, which are special deals for chase rares at significantly discounted prices. Card Kingdom has so much to offer, so I hope you'll check them out. And if you'd like to support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link. Just go to cardkingdom.com/ktm.
Okay, everyone, we're back. Dev, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yes, it's my favorite part. Okay. So, yes, <laughs> it's easily my favorite part of the podcast. Hit me with it. All right, sweet. Okay, Dev, rapid fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what's your favorite color and why? Okay, like, I'm, okay, first of all, purple. <laughs> back, back story here. Inquest Magazine did a story about the sixth color, purple, a long, long time ago, and I've been waiting on it for 20 years, so purple. But if I had to really answer this question, um, the sort of egotistical, I guess, narcissistic side of me wants to say blue. You know, I'm really into knowledge, um, you know, learning new things. Um, I think that's very important, the thirst for knowledge, if you will. But if I'm being honest, though, like it's probably red. Like I've already told you I'm famously disorganized. It's a good way to describe <laughs> me. But passionate at the same time. Um, and so... You know, I hate to basically I'm stealing the professor's answer. I just realized that. But um <laughs> I feel I feel the exact same way. Um I if I was if I was being unrealistic and narcissistic, I'd probably say blue. And then if I was being realistic with myself, probably red. Interesting. Fascinating. Okay. So uh yeah, I normally ask, you know, you're red, but what color would you pair it with? You'd pair it with blue. Well, not necessarily. That's just it. Um <laughs> Because I feel like I shouldn't say blue here because again, I'm still, I still feel like blue is a sort of egotistical answer. You know, everybody probably wants to answer blue like, oh, it's about intelligence and I'm smart. You know, <laughs> so everybody probably wants to say blue, but like probably actually green. Honestly, hmm. you know, I, sort of tranquility, serenity, patience, kindness, empathy, nature. I really like those things about green and the fact that like, if you make it angry. <laughs> oh, know, yeah. You know, I like the sort of wrath of nature, too. So, I just, I really like a lot of the things about green. If I think that it has been shafted a bit in the color pie and what it does, you know, like all the other color pies have this rich history of flavor and then green's like, big fat guys. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if, even if I don't like its representation, I do like what it at least theoretically stands for. So, I might go with green. Okay. I love it. I love it. Okay, Dev, rapid fire question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? Purple. Like, <laughs> Make it happen. I, by the way, by the way, this is this is serious. I think that like um, I really this this is a controversial topic, but I would love a sixth color as long as it was really fleshed out. It has to be very thought out. I don't and, and you know R and D has taken strides lately to make sure that there are more checks and balances on cards before they come out and mechanics and stuff like that. Uh, very recently, they've taken um, strides to make sure there are checks and balances. Um, and with something like a, a, another color, they've sort of somewhat tried it with making colorless matter. And, you know, there are inter throughout Magic's history, there are sets where like artifacts matter. So it's almost like a sixth color in that standard, at least. Um, but I'd really like to see if for just one block and, you know, Wizards has already said that a block doesn't necessarily mean two or three sets anymore. It can be you know, one set in a world and then we'll move on. You know, they just made that announcement. So, even if you just did it in, in a one to two or three set block, I would really love to see them actually experiment with a sixth color. I would love that. You'd have to work at a lot of things from a flavor standpoint and how the other colors interact with it, how the color wheel works after that, how shards and you know things like that work. But I think that if they could pull it off, it may be really, really awesome. I'd love to see that. Fascinating. Okay, okay. Dev, question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? Um, just, I guess, sort of one of the points of the channel and it's uh, basic knowledge. Just, okay, like if you've been playing Magic for 10 or 20 years, you know, you sort of have this 
giant center of knowledge that a lot of magic players don't have that you take for granted, you know? And at, at one point we were all the new player. That's like, oh, I'm never going to play green. Cause I hate it. And it's a stupid color. Or, I'm going to play this card. Cause it's got good art or, you know, we were all that guy or, or that, or that girl, we were all that person. And, you know, as you go on and you learn how magic works, how deck building works, you just gain this sort of base of theoretical knowledge about the game that I think people just assume everybody has after a certain point. You know, you become so immersed in the bubble of magic um, and in your own sort of culture and your knowledge of the game that you think that everyone thinks the same way you do as far as magic theory. And um, I just think I, I want people to uh, I want to be able to impart more of that knowledge base because not everybody knows. Every, you know, little thing about numbers in deck building, um, gameplay theory and strategy, you know. So every, you know, little things like that that we all take for granted, you know. I would like to impart that. And also, if, if, I, may, if I can drag this question out just a little bit, a little bit about magic theory. I would also like to, I mean, this is not necessarily a gift to magic players, but I want to work this in. I, I'd like the gift of, <laughs> I have to frame this correctly, <laughs> the, the gift of questioning established theory. You know, we talked about chess a little bit earlier, and chess is often compared to magic. Um, and chess is a game that has evolved for, uh, you know, millennia. It, chess is still evolving. There are still people developing strategies for chess in 2017. And magic has been around for not even a quarter of a century, almost a quarter of a century. And people, there are just sort of things that we just cut and dried, take for granted and take as law about deck building theory and about play theory. And I think that we would do better as a community to question what are becoming like deeply held beliefs about play philosophy and, and deck building philosophy that I actually think would be, would do better to be questioned sometimes. Fascinating, fascinating. Dev, question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? This this is probably also slightly controversial. I know not not, not everyone will agree with me here. But I actually do think that um, a lot of the future is probably digital. Whether we like it or not, That that's the thing to take away. Um, I would love for Magic to always be a cardboard game. You know, you, you take your whole, your box with your sleeves and your, your, your deck boxes within the box and your dice and all that over to your buddy's house or to your game shop. You sit down, you play a game. I think that that form of Magic will always be available for those who want it. But I think that when we're talking about the future of Magic and what can propel it into the mainstream, which is something I want. I want the game to thrive and do better and have, you know, recognition as a product. I, I would like that because I enjoy the game and I want more people to enjoy it. And for that to happen, we, it needs mainstream success. You could argue that Magic has already had that to a degree, but you could also question you know, 10 people on the street and eight of them might not know what Magic the Gathering is. So I think that it's important to try to spread the product as much as we can. And going into the digital age is going to be a very important part of that. We're in the digital age already and Wizards is sort of being dragged, kicked and screaming. You know, it seems like with sort of the shakeup last year um, at the top of Wizards, the new president is hiring people that um, that are looking to put together digital product. And I like that. I like that direction. Um, sure, focus on cardboard too. Again, I want that option to be there for people. It's a very, I love playing cardboard magic. You know, I just told you I do everything old school. But at the same time, if we're going to make this game accessible to everybody and mainstream enough that the game has the success that it deserves as the best game ever, seriously, 
that the digital market is going to be a huge part of that, again, whether we like it or not. So that's what I'd like to see in the future of magic is wizards, yes, invest more in that, but know how to do it. And the professor touched on this. Wizards has proven that they don't necessarily make good digital product. But the new guy um, has brought in, I believe, uh, last I heard, has brought in a studio that's sort of third party to work on Magic Digital Next. And I think that's important to get someone with experience that's done this um, multiple times over and can make a digital product. Because um, magic should not be that hard to turn into a digital product. It really shouldn't. So the fact they've struggled with it is amazing to me at this point because it should translate relatively well. I think they can do it with the right team behind it. And I'd like to see that happen to propel the game to where it needs to be. You know, because I, I don't want for eight out of 10 people on the street to not know what this game is. You know, it's a really, really good game. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Hmm. Yeah, everyone has really talked about the impact of digital, what they would change about Magic the Ring, what did they see in the future. Digital is definitely on everyone's mind. And I think it'll I think it'll get there. I, I have no idea how, but I know it will get there. Yeah. Well, they've got plenty of time. It's, you know, uh, <sighs> they've got plenty of time. That's all I'm going to say. You know, they, they've learned from their mistakes a little bit. I feel like their digital product gets a little bit better. You know, MTGO, they fixed a lot. There's still a lot to fix, and the game does still look, you know, uh, not necessarily visually appealing. But there, there's some stuff that needs to be fixed. But I think that they're getting the mechanics of it down, more so than they had them a year ago or, or two years ago. So I think it's a slow crawl, but we're going to make it. And I think it's very important for the future of the game is all. It, you know, it may not be what I like, but I think it's important. Yeah, yeah. And last, Dev, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience, like where they can find you on social? Well, I um, I have a Twitter account that I've been trying to pay more attention to lately. When I first started the Twitter account, I was like, I'll just post new videos to this. But lately, I have been more active on Twitter. So, find me there at um, Twitter. Uh, excuse me. At Twitter. Uh, it's, it's hashtag uh, SBMTGDev. Hashtag SBMTGDev. See, I'm still new to this. I haven't, you know, I just wanted to talk about magic. That was my thing when I started the YouTube channel. I just want to talk about magic. But yeah, it's at twitter.com slash SBMTGDev. Or if you're on Twitter, it's at SBMTGDev. You could definitely do uh, hashtag SBMTGDev, but Dev might never see it because it's a hashtag. Yeah, yeah, just, just tweet about me and I'll, I'll find it somewhere. Um, I love it. But, um, but no, it's like I'm, not, I'm just not used to the social media thing. I don't uh, have a Facebook account other than my personal Facebook account. But you can find me on Twitter, SBMTGDev. And uh, you can find me on YouTube. I just, you can, don't even have to put in Strictly Better MTG. If you're lazy, just put in SBMTG and hit search and there I am. I love it. I love it. Okay, for everyone listening, we're going to have all the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org to the Twitter profile, the YouTube channel, and also the Patreon. And then also, Dev, if it's okay with you, we're also going to link to your music on SoundCloud. Oh, yeah, do Please do all of that. <laughs> that would be awesome. Thank you. I love it. I'll definitely do that. And uh, Dev, I just really wanted to thank you because you really put your heart and soul into creating content for the Magic community. And it's really brought joy to a lot of people. I'm so happy with like the way Magic is growing. And I'm also very grateful that you stuck with it. You bring your energy, you connect with the audience, and you're also not just bringing kind of like the happy energy that you and the friendliness that you bring, but you're also bringing knowledge. You're teaching people about magic. You're making it more accessible by having like, you know, budget deck techs and decks that are, um, you know, safe from rotation. And you're talking about news. You're talking a little bit about lore. 
before. You're talking about some other things as well. I really love that. And I really thank you for what you do. You are absolutely a pillar of the community. I'm so proud of you and your success. You're at like over 60,000 followers. And here's the next uh, 1 million more. <laughs> let's let's hope, man. That, that actually just meant an awful lot to me. That meant an awful lot. I am crying slightly. So thank you. Um, not, not really, but I probably will after this. I'll be like, oh my God, he said all those nice things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, it means a lot. I'll keep doing it. You know, the community means so much to me at this point. You know, I was just throwing up videos on YouTube at first and um, it quickly became a thing where like the people that, you know, that, that comment on my videos and that engage with me on social media, like the people that I talk to every day really mean a lot to me. The community meant a lot to me very quickly. So I'm glad that you guys keep letting me do it. How about that? I'll keep doing it as long as you let me. So, cause I, I really enjoy doing this. You know, I feel like, you know, you're making something for yourself and you're, you're putting a lot of work into it. And I can definitely see um, that, that people are uh, really responding to it. And that means a lot to me. I hope you enjoyed hanging out with Dev from Strictly Better MTG. Just search for SBMTG on YouTube. He's also sparingly on Twitter at SBMTGDev. I recently created a follow-up deck tech Q&A with Dev on my new YouTube channel, Play MTG, so check it out. Also, be sure to support Dev at patreon.com SBMTG. I'll have all of the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. Thanks everyone for listening to this week's show. I want to take a moment to thank all of my Patreon supporters, Brian, James L, Marcus, Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Mark, Aaron M, Neil, James G, Aaron C, Jonathan, Corey, Chad, James E, Joe, Logan, Scott, The Magic Man Sam, Jesse, Ben, Nick, Eternal Dirtles, and Matthias. Supporters at the $6 level or higher are receiving a signed copy of Monza's Goblin Raiders from Dev of SBMTG. Listeners, if you want to get signed cards from my guests, go to patreon.com slash kitchen table magic and become a supporter today. If you haven't heard already, I've created a new YouTube channel called Play MTG. It's an upbeat, fast-paced YouTube channel featuring deck techs from the pros, learn-to-play tutorials, level-up advice, card discussion, community news, and more. Just go to youtube.com slash C slash Play MTG. Special thanks to Dev for the shout-out on his YouTube channel that helped me get a bunch of new subscribers. I really appreciate your support, Dev. Follow the channel on Twitter at play underscore MTG. It's also on Facebook at facebook.com slash play MTG, all one word. I'm looking forward to creating new content and I've got some collaborations and new videos in the works. Be sure to subscribe to Kitchen Table Magic on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Hipsters of the Coast, and mtgcast.com. Follow the show on Twitter at KTM Podcast. The show is on Facebook.com slash Kitchen Table Magic Podcast. All of the show notes are at kitchentablemagic.org. If you're new to the show, there's plenty of past episodes to listen to, and please be sure to share KTM with a friend. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. You know, we had been marinating on the idea of doing gameplay for quite some time. Jimmy and I had, of course, discussed it sort of in theory or philosophy for ever since we started the podcast. You know, we were looking at a lot of the gameplay stuff that's out there and understanding the pitfalls of what, you know, everybody was falling into. And I think it's very easy to look at stuff and be like, that's boring or that's blah, blah, blah. Or that's, but I understand it's very hard to make magic understandable, relatable, accessible 
exciting. So for a long time, just sort of pinpointing things we thought, you know, we could do, or we'd say things like, you know, it'd be cool if this happened, or oh, if we could do this. And so we released a video, and at that time, we didn't even know it was called Game Nights. We called it Out of the Box. You'll be amazed how rudimentary it is. It's really the germ of the idea that Game Nights has become. And you can see that I'm specifically not good at a lot of the things, or I haven't figured out a lot of the things that we come to figure out later. The card animations are, are not tight. The editing is actually, it's just a different experience. But even from that, we were able to sort of tell that like, oh, people really like this. It's, it's a game changer. I'm talking to the special effects wizard of the magic community, Josh Lee Kwai, co-host of the Command Zone podcast and Game Nights. Josh, along with Jimmy Wong, are transforming how the magic community enjoys live gameplay footage with their revolutionary new show, Game Nights, on YouTube. Josh is a trailer editor, and you might have seen his work from Disney princess movies, The Fast and the Furious, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and Star Wars. One day, Josh met Jimmy Wong on the set of Rocket Jump, and the rest is history. Josh and Jimmy discuss commander strategy every week on the Command Zone podcast, and they battle it out with multiplayer action on their video video series Game Nights. Join me and one of the innovators of the magic community, Josh Lee Kwai, all on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. 